on this episode of Adventures in Being Gifted. And it's just for me, success is I was really worried about this and here's what I did to manage it. And so I think giving kids that and saying that's success really helps us all because it's not about removing fear. It's about managing it. That and a whole lot more coming up. All right, everybody, welcome to season four. I cannot believe we have come this far with this tiny little idea that we had over two years ago. I know. It's amazing that it's gone into these seasons and all the people that we've met and we've been able to talk to, the stories that we've heard. It has been just way bigger than what we ever imagined. Yes. I it I, Yeah. Way bigger than we imagined. It has been an incredible experience and I cannot wait for it to continue. That's right. And we are so excited to bring you this season with our lineups. Um, We have had almost 20,000 downloads, which is incredible for our humble little starting that we, you know, set out back during the pandemic. And we are just so grateful for all of you out there who are listening and sharing this with your friends, your family, your colleagues, um, just anyone that you feel will benefit from these stories and our episodes. Just keep on sharing and keep on just spreading um, the adventures of being gifted. Yeah. And it's fun because as we look at our viewers, we have people listening to this podcast all over the world. So truly, we have almost every continent. Minus Antarctica. (laughs) So yeah, we are so thrilled um, because this season our lineup has some great topics. For example, we're going to talk about mental health, anxiety, some equity, motivation for our gifted students. So it's going to be jam-packed. For sure. If you are a parent, a student yourself, Um, a professional, anyone who feels that you are a gifted grown-up or a gifted person, or you work with people that are identified as gifted in some way, shape, or form, we hope that you continue to listen and get ready for some awesome episodes this season. Here we go. Hi, everyone. Today, we are really excited to have our guest who has 20 years experience as a teacher, school counselor, and child psychotherapist. She has written six books, including one of our favorites, Why Smart Kids Worry. Adventures and Being Gifted is thrilled to host Allison Edwards on today's episode. Welcome, Allison. Thank you. So, wow, 20 years of experience and all the different facets that you have, you know, explored in your career. So tell us a little bit how all of your different positions have guided and prepared you to write, you know, the six books and almost seventh book that you have written. Well, I'll start with just saying I was an anxious kid. And I think that's sort of shaped my career is just knowing that there are so many kids out there like I was that don't have the support they needed or they need. And I certainly didn't even know what to call what I was experiencing as a child. And so my career has been mostly focused on childhood anxiety. And I think, um, I think there's a a saying you teach best what you need to learn. And that is exactly what I've done is I've actually learned a lot myself through working with anxious kids. 
I started as a school teacher and um, elementary school teacher, and I found that I was much more worried about why a kid reacted to a certain you know situation than I was about them actually learning the information. And so that quickly got me into um, counseling, and I was a school counselor for eight years, and I loved the job. Uh, I thought it was a fantastic way to to reach a large number of kids, but I just was trying to find a way to have more time with kids. So I went into private practice and I, you know, didn't plan on working with anxious kids in private practice. I didn't advertise for that, but you know, they find you. And so, um, I just, I started working with anxious kids and really what I focused on was trying to identify the feeling and then use strategies to manage the feeling. And I focused on instead of trying to put out fires and to set up kids for a situation where life would be easy, instead to try to help them grow those emotional muscles. And then why smart kids worry, you know, was really started by I I opened my practice near the most academically challenging school in town. And I didn't um, didn't really think about it. But all of a sudden, I get these gifted, anxious kids just you know, in droves. And so I started that book actually was, I started my practice in, in 2008. And that book actually was began in 2008, when I started really looking at like, case after case, like what's going on with these kids, and I would hear the same things over and over again, you know, big fears, little bodies, you know, no really emotional awareness. And so I just began working on like, how do we support these kids? throughout their lives. I think it's so relevant because this book that came out in 2013, you can pick it up and read it today. And it's even more relevant than ever with all the COVID and the pandemic that has passed us, hopefully, but we're still living through. It is just, it's it's just super relevant, even here in 2022. Yeah, who would have known, right, that, <laughs> that we would get even more things. Um, than, you know, than we had then, but we certainly have more, more outside triggers than ever. And kids are really, you know, it's a, it's a scary world for them. And, um, there is no, I mean, I don't know if things will change, but I think our goal is to try to help prepare kids for just what, what lies ahead and what they're experiencing now. So would you say from 2008 and dealing with the large amount of gifted kids that you saw come through your doors has that stayed the same or are you seeing even more kids now because of the pandemic and are they all identified as gifted or would you say they're just all ability levels? I I think now I see all abilities, but I tend to, I tend to see a lot more kids who maybe they're not certified gifted, but they're just different thinkers and they can sort of grasp concepts that other kids their age can't. And I think that creates this overwhelming anxiety that other kids don't have. And I will say, for example, the number of, you know, violence in schools, that to me is a huge thing for kids. And when you start to think about it, kids who think a little differently, you know, some kids, you can tell them it's not going to happen in your school. But kids who think differently are like, well, you can't tell me that it won't happen. Like that's, that's the gap. And that's where the anxiety comes in is where am I safe? And so 
it's interesting, you know, some of these kids, a lot of kids aren't tested for giftedness, especially in private schools, because they don't really test for it, you know, unless it's needed. So, but you can just tell by the way a kid thinks, um, you know, kids who are eight, 10 years old, I mean, still today in my office will say to me, you know, we are ruining our planet. Like, what's it going to be like for my kids? And I'm like, whoa, you know, that's a big statement. Like, what's going to happen to the polar bears? You know, I don't know, you know, and what's going to happen if we don't reverse global warming? I mean, this is, that has not changed. I think it's actually gotten more um, intense. And the kids who come in and say, I'm worried about a friendship problem are fewer than the other kids. And also it's easier to sort of navigate that. But how do you work with a kid who, you know, says we're in a real problem here. We're having a, we're in a crisis. And I'm like, I can't argue with that. You know, like you're right. Um, but you're eight. And, you know, I've had kids that are really upset about their parents, not recycling a water or a you know plastic bottle or even buying a plastic bottle. And they're like, my parents are ruining the planet, you know? And, so that kind of stuff to me has stayed consistent and it's gotten even more um, intense because I think our world is getting more and more scary for them. And, and there is no certainty. And so those to me have always been the kids and the, the issues that are a lot more complex than just, I'm worried about a kid not liking me, or I'm worried about my teacher getting on to me. To me, those are, those are easier but the big questions, I call them default worries. And those are worries that you spin whenever there's nothing else to worry about. And so summertime is a huge time for default worries. And so I have a lot of kids who are more anxious in the summer because they have more time to think about these things. And so in the summer where you're supposed to be relaxing and you know you don't have the stress of school, kids are like, I want to go back to school because I want my brain to relax that will say that, you know? And so it's, it's even worse in the summer for a lot of kids. So tell us, how do you tackle those big worries? <laughs> what do you tell a kid about? Well, I think the first thing I do is I don't try to convince them otherwise. And I think that's something that's not innate. I'm a parent and I know what it's like to want to comfort your child. But I, instead of saying, actually, I don't think you have anything to worry about or, you know, trying to rationalize with them. I think one thing that's really important to know is that anxiety is not rational. And so you have this irrational fear and you try to rationalize with an irrational fear. And so some of these things are, yes, this could happen, but it's irrational to your life right now. It's not affecting you personally. Right. And so I try to, first of all, I don't, I don't convince them otherwise. I acknowledge the feeling and I always go to the fear. So instead of talking about global warming or talking about, you know, school shootings, I say, wow, you, you're really worried about this. And then I go straight to how worried are you? And so I get right into underneath the surface, which is regulating the fear. And kids will say, I'm a 10 out of 10. And I'll say, okay, why don't we go take a walk? Because when you get up that high, you have to reset your brain. And so we'll leave my office and we'll walk around um, and we'll come back and be like, okay, I'm a five. All right, let's talk about this. So when, when kids are regulated, they can have conversations about how do I regulate this emotion? But the best thing to do, no matter what the problem is, 
is go right to what is the feeling and how can you manage this feeling? And that gives the power to the kid. Instead of waiting for the world to change, you, I'm going to do what I can. And that's to manage this fear. And what's so interesting is that over and over again, the same, you do the same thing over and over, you do the same routine and they get used to it. And so, you know, to me, success as a, as a therapist is when a kid comes in and says, there I go again. I've been thinking about this all day. I was worried at a seven. I did square breathing and I got through the day. To me, that is success. It's not, I didn't worry today because that's just not, I mean, that's just not realistic for a lot of kids. I mean, it's not realistic for me as an anxious person. I still have my fair share of worries. And it's just for me, success is, I was really worried about this and here's what I did to manage it. And so I think giving kids that and saying that's success really helps us all because it's not about removing fear. It's about managing it. Yeah. And in your book, you have like a whole chapter related to how asynchronous development of, of children and how that intelligence and that anxiety collide. And so what kind yeah. of strategies could you help our parents and even the teachers in our audience when we have that asynchronous development at home or in a classroom, like what are some of your best strategies that you give for the, that situation? So I think raising emotional awareness is the best thing you can do because intelligence is going to keep increasing um, and it's not, that's not going to change. And so what, instead of to shorten the gap, you just increase emotion. So when a kid comes to you and is, is worried and visible, visibly worried or upset, especially test anxiety. It's interesting. Really bright kids are afraid of failing. They'll have all A's in there, you know, afraid of, of a test, you know, and I work with a lot of kids that are afraid of 99s. I'm like, wow, that's, that's a really good grade for most people. You know, they want the 100%. And talking about the feeling, like even teachers saying, you seem really worried about this. Is there anything we can do to help you with that? Because if you stay again off the surface, you can help kids understand, oh, I am worried about this. And so to me, it's going a little bit deeper. I also think kids, especially, you know, who are really anxious in a classroom, and I'm doing a lot of work with this now on spaces to reset your brain. And in my book, Flooded, um, I talk a lot about how the brain processes emotion and there is a point where you cannot take in information when the blood flow, when the blood leaves the top of the head and goes to the bottom of the brain, you are without emotion regulation and critical thinking. And so a lot of times what we do is when a kid is really flooded, we try to talk to them and that makes it worse. And so I think the best thing in a classroom, if you see a kid flooded is to say, you know, you have five minutes and in those five minutes, they can reset their brain. And a lot of kids go to school with pouches they have in their pouch. They have, you know, something that they can hold, they can touch. that helps. That's sort of a soothing thing. They can hold a rock with a heart on it. Um, a lot of kids will take lavender oil and put it on a bandana. And, and, you know, you walk out of class, you sniff the bandana, those little Altoid mints, put it in your mouth, you taste something different. And what happens is in five minutes, that child can come back completely regulated. And so a lot of times we keep kids in this, when they're upset, we try to talk them through it. And that's actually the reverse of what we should do. And so for, for educators now, just saying like a kid, if a child could say, 
there could be an arrangement. Hey, you know, an anxious child, I'm flooded. You know, the rule is go. You have five minutes to reset your five senses. And this is working amazingly because kids, instead of trying to sit there and work through it or have the teacher try to talk to them, it's like, I know how to regulate my brain. And they come back and it's amazing. Um, The other thing which I talk about in the book is just don't, don't expose them to things. You know, I mean, as much as you can, you do do not want to talk, have these conversations with your kids about the recession or the economy or the, I mean, just turn, turn the news off. Like don't even go there. Um, And I think one thing to do for parents, especially when kids ask these questions is say, what do you think that is? Or what do you think about it? And, you know, a lot of bright parents have bright kids and bright parents want to talk about intellectual things like the world and what's going on. And that's not what you want to do with a, with a kid because they can't understand, they can't process it. And so those are sort of my recommendations, but it's really amazing what some of these trainings have done for these kids who have been stuck in these classrooms and they're dysregulated and they're, they've got these big thoughts and they can't calm down. And if you just give them the ability to leave and reset, it's a completely different day. They come back and they're, they're able to do it. Wouldn't it be cool if teachers started making little spaces like you're talking about? And I, I'm just envisioning for Jessica and I's, you know, resource classroom. If we set aside like a table or like a place where we would have some of those things you were talking about to have that five minute reset space and, and just introduce it right off the bat and say, you know, the first day or so of school, Hey, this is the brain reset area. And this is where you would go if you feel flooded and just kind of have that as our norm, like let them know that this is a safe, okay place And we're all kind of learning all of this brain-based information right now as it's happening. But for all of our schools, for all of our classrooms to be kind of more embracing that and and to learn the science behind it as educators and parents, I think that would make a world of difference. You know, it's so interesting because it it makes it easier for everyone. I mean, you know, I've worked with a number of schools and, you know, what I teach teachers and, you know, anybody who has an office, like if you put a lavender oil, lavender burner in your office, like an oil burner and put lavender in it in your office and you turn off the main lights and you turn a lamp on and then you play some sort of music, which I used to play classical music because the kids, it was so different for the kids and there's no words, but just walking in your office, they reset there's three senses that are changed by just walking in and kids will become regulated by with you doing nothing. And so in classrooms, teachers are starting to do this. And what happens is kids find these classrooms safe and they will say, this is the classroom. And we'll talk about why is that? And I'll say, because in this classroom, it feels different. And so it's really interesting. And then, you know, to have, you know, a chair, like you said, with things to touch with, you know, and and so what happens is all of a sudden you've got four senses and it will reset them. And they, you know, the power is for them to know I need to reset. And when I do talk to parents too, it's like, you know, talking about when they get flooded and what happens when you parent and you're flooded and your child is flooded. Like those situations are upsetting for everyone or a teacher gets flooded and then, you know, I was just the thinking gets, that the teacher, yeah, the we, get, 
We just created a room in our building this year that has like a really nice space with lamps. And it's just like a, a place where if a teacher does get flooded, they can go and just reset. And it's lovely. I think it's such an interesting thing because as an adult, you know, I go to counseling because that's what's good for my husband and I, you know, we do that so that we can communicate better and work better. And so I'm familiar with the flooded pieces that aspect, but it's almost like it's departmentalized. Like we don't teach it as a human being trait. Like this is your brain. This Mm -hmm. is your science. This is your blood flow. This is how it works when you have these emotions. And I'm almost thinking, man, why aren't we taking more science and brain related classes? We're teaching these kids. Now we have in the past, not every year taught our third graders about their brain and the brain science. But um, I just think it needs to be like a universal thing. Mm-hmm. It would change the, the, I mean, whole life of kids. I mean, I think it would shape their lives. I, I, I really do the, the number of, you know, college counseling centers and the data, when you look at that 60% of kids drop out of college for mental health reasons, not for academic. And so we're really missing the mark because we're so focused on academic success that we're sending kids off to college that are not ready. Like they just cannot deal with it. And so my, you know, thought on this is parents have till 18 educators. We have till 18 or to senior year, and we've got to give them the tools to make it on their own. And that is not just knowing how to get an A in a class. That is how do you manage discomfort? How, what, what do you do when things don't go your way? What do you do when you're having when you're lonely and you're isolated like those are the things that kids don't know how to do and so they can't manage I have a lot of kids that are in college and they're like there's we have no openings in the counseling center there's just no space because we can't so we've we've really if we could do this and I think too when we tell kids this is your brain like I draw the brain in my office and show them what happens and there's such a relief because they're like oh so there's nothing wrong with me. I'm like, no, it's that your brain is is just doing what it's supposed to do to take care of you. Like, it's not, there's nothing wrong with you. So it's really given them this relief of like, oh, it's not just me being out of control. It's my brain. It's blood flow in my brain. So. And it makes me then, think of what we need to do as a society, because right. in your book, mm-hmm. you mentioned something about how you were in a foreign country and a kid was crying and how the strangers around them dealt with it in such a way where in the United States, if someone is crying, you know, they're all staring at the parent, like you better control your child where (laughs) that's exactly right. Yeah. It's, it's the fault of the child. Like they cannot, we've taught them to not show their emotions when they're feeling them because it's not, you know, correct in our society to have a crying child in public. Like it's, it's, it's really a shame. It's yeah, we are really off base. And I think the prediction was the next pandemic is mental health. And I, I, I totally believe that. I think we are in a position where we are, we, we have no idea what to do. And, you know, when I started my practice in 2008, I remember people saying, you know, it's kind of hard to get referrals. It's going to take a while. And now there's nobody who has openings. I mean, it's just the nature of of the state of the world. And so we're just, you know, to me, it's like, we've got to teach kids how to do this on their own and make it just as important as anything else they do or more important, you know, like value this. Yes. I think we really do need to start 
as educators start in our classrooms with that preventative kind of a unit, or maybe it's not just a unit, maybe it's just a piece of our practice, our daily practice, like I said, incorporate, you know, that safe space, um, teach little tidbits about the brain and how the brain works and the neuroscience behind it, because all of that helps us better understand what is really going on. Like you said, knowing the insides of you and being able to handle it in a way that's not, you know, looked or frowned upon process our emotions correctly yeah, yeah. in a way that yeah. is yeah. yeah 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 so one of our questions from our colleagues um i i think she's asking this as a parent but also as a teacher um she has about 20 years of experience as well how do we adults help our kids help our students break the what if spiral so a lot of times i take kids through the actually the path. So the fear is a lot of times, like when a kid comes in and says, like, what if I fail this test? And I'll say, what if you do? Let's talk about that. And a lot of times they're like, well, I'll fail the class. And it's like, will you? So you take them through all of the steps and see where they end up. And most of the time they end up at an okay place. It's really interesting. They kind of end up going, oh, it's not so bad. So I think the fear, there's usually the what if, and then there's just fear. And so talking them through like, what if you get to like a new school and you don't have a friend, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go see if I can get an appointment with the counselor. Okay. What if she's unavailable? He's unavailable. What do you do now? And so you get a plan in place for what if things could happen? That's one thing to do. And it's interesting because when you break it down, kids are usually like, oh, well, that's not so bad. <laughs> like I can totally do that. Um, the other thing I recommend is brain plate, which is to me the most important tool of COVID. Um, it's a, one of the tools in the book. But to me, that was my tool during COVID. And I, you know, COVID just threw all of us off. And I, for me, being an anxious person, anxiety is fear of the future. And I didn't know when I was going to go back to work, when I would have childcare again. I have a 90 pound golden doodle. That's my therapy dog that lost his job. You know, it's all, I do play therapy. I'm like, how do I do that on Zoom? So, um, but I use brain plate, which is basically like you, you know, write out what's on your plate today. And then when a thought comes in, you ask the question, are you on my plate? And if no, you kick it off. And what happens is you train your brain to stay with today. And oftentimes there are 90, well, I do this with kids all the time. And we look at their plate and, we, and I say, can you handle this? And they go, yeah. And I'm like, good. That's all you have to do. You know, I describe it as, you know, your, your mind is meant for one day at a time. Your stomach is meant for three meals a day. And if I asked you to eat a week's worth of food in one sitting, what would happen? And kids are like, oh, I would get sick. And I'm like, exactly, because your stomach cannot hold that much and your mind can't either. And so kids will take this paper plate home and in the morning they get up and they write what's on their plate and they come home and they erase it before bed and their plate is clear. And so it really does take all of those thoughts and it brings them back to like, what's on my plate today? Because the thoughts, if you can separate yourself from the thoughts, they're not so scary, but it's when you're so close to the thought, you believe it. 
So what if I fail? Well, let's talk about that. Um, but there's, you know, the what ifs are to me in life, you know, <laughs> we're all, we don't know. And so if you try to tell a kid, like, it's going to be fine, that's not going to work because there's no guarantee that it's going to be fine. But helping them know, like, no matter what happens, here's how I'm going to handle it. Um, I'm working with a lot, some seniors that are going to college in a month and they're just, you know, so anxious. I mean, what's it going to be like? What if I don't like my roommate? You know, all of this stuff. And just trying to say, we don't know, but let's think about what can you do? to prepare yourself. And so we'd come up with a plan, but what's your first, when's your first break? And we look at, here's my first fall break. Here's parents weekend. Okay. Think about that. What can you do the first weekend if you have no social plan? Oh, there's this book I've been wanting to read. There's, you know, so you start planning and then you take out that, the fear or the, the question, if you will. Right. Well, what if Ha uh-huh. What if <laughs> the kids, um, that was good? <laughs> what if a student or lots of students right now in this time period, day and age, are worried about their physical safety? We have a, another colleague who's a middle school, intermediate age child is really fearful of his safety. He pretty much ends up in their bedroom at some point during the night, almost every night, because he is fearful of someone coming in and, you know, breaking into their house or, you know, just that physical safety. How would you handle that, especially in all of the school shootings we've had? Yeah, I think there's a, there is a time period where you would expect, like if a kid hears about a school shooting, you would expect, expect some regression. And that's normal. I think, you know, when kids, when this stuff happens and it's all over the news, it's, it's normal to to feel like, oh no, what if that's me? What if we're next? You know? And so I think you give it, you know, a few days to of regression. I think sometimes parents are so afraid of the kid, like, no, no, they're in their own bed. They can't come in. We don't want to start that. And I agree, but it's also the empathy and understanding that this is terrifying. I mean, this is not something I grew up with. I can't imagine that fear with my anxious brain. I couldn't even, I don't even know what that would have done to me. So, you know, thinking about giving it some understanding that that's kind of regression and also trying to talk about what's going to calm your body and use it like, because it's, you know, what's going to calm your body. They wake up in the middle of the night, they run to the parents' room. You know, I think talking about before bed like a lot of times it's so interesting. You give kids a flashlight. They think it's so cool. You get them this cool flashlight and they say, what if someone, I, I dark, I'm scared. And you're like, here's your special flashlight. And it's interesting what will happen. They're like, oh, so in the middle of the night, they're scared. They start playing with the flashlight, looking around the room. And it's so interesting because they feel empowered. They're like, oh, I can do this, right? I can look around, but they think about it's dark and you're in this big room. And you hear a noise. So you think, oh, I'm going to look at this myself. So there's things that hope the goal is that they will self-soothe. Um, the other thing is, I will say, is to give them some sort of reward for soothing. Because there's no incentive for a child to stay in their bed when they're anxious. Except if you say, if you wake up in your bed, then this. And it has to be immediate. So 
whatever kids like. I woke up in my bed. I did it. I get a sticker. I woke up in my bed. I did it. I get to go outside and play, whatever it is. And so what happens is you give them incentive that hopefully will override the fear. And then when you get back into the rhythm again, but it is, you know, kids would always, if they have safe parents would always want to sleep with their parents because it's safe, but it's not good for them. You know, they need to learn how to soothe. And so when you go through these bumps, you do things like what would help you feel safe? And, and instead of saying, I'm afraid someone's going to break in and you, and most parents will say, no, one's going to break in. We have a dog. We have an alarm. We live in a safe neighborhood, whatever, but that doesn't resonate because that doesn't there. That doesn't make sense to them. So you say, what would help you feel safe? Oh, what about a flashlight? Kids are like a flashlight. That's awesome. So you start thinking about asking that question because later in life, they're going to need to ask the same question of themselves. What would make me help me feel safe? That's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. And in your book, I'm going to kind of move kind of in the same topic, but a little bit different. You talk a lot about internal processors and external processors. And Mm -hmm. I think I have one of each in my own household, (laughs) my two children. (laughs) Um, But then especially, I mean, you can explain this a little bit more to our audience. I think that they would appreciate understanding the two because I've never really stopped and thought about the difference between you know how my kids process things differently. But then especially if Mm -hmm. you are a parent, who is maybe internal and your child's external or vice versa, how can you best, you know, what advice could you give for those parents as well? So the external processors will wear you out. And I think that's something to know. They, you know, they soothing, they talk by soothing, you know, they soothe by talking, sorry. And they, you know, want to say everything that's on their mind and it actually makes them feel better. So I would say to the for the outward processor, I would not engage or not try to answer every question. A lot of times when they talk or ask questions, and I think one of my tools in there is the five question rule where you say you bring awareness. So a child says, you know, do I have to go to soccer? Do I have to go to soccer? Do I have to go to soccer? What that really means is I'm afraid to go to soccer. Right. But they ask the question and then you would say, you've asked that question three times. I will answer it two more times. And so what happens and you can choose when you ask the question. And what happens is it gives them this awareness of, whoa, you know, because if you a lot of times parents will get frustrated. I what did I say last time? I already told you the answer. You know, there's the frustration. But if you just basically you're empathizing, you're saying, hey, I'll give you the answer, but I'm not going to give it to you all night. So that's a good way to set a boundary. Um, The other thing with outward processors is to have them write it down. And I call this the no talk notebook. And this is actually great for inward or outward processors. It's great for, you know, kids who are, you know, middle school, high school. And what you do is you say, um, I, you know, this is a, a notebook between the two of us. I can't ask you any questions. I just have to write my questions down. So this is a great one for inward processors who don't tell you anything. You, they'll write, you know, how you could ask, how was your day? I've noticed you being quiet. Is everything okay? And you go and lay it on their bed. And then they will write back. Actually, I'm having this big friend problem. And they can just write and write and write. And when you get it as a parent, you cannot ask the question. And what this does is, provide some safety around 
their feelings because inward processes are very uncomfortable talking about feelings and they hate questions. And once they start talking, we're like, yes. And we see it as an open door and we flood them and then they shut down again. And so this is a good thing for outward processors because you actually get a boundary. You're like, hey, I want to hear what you're talking about, but I'm in the middle of cooking dinner. Can you write that down and we'll talk about it later? And so they're immediately soothed. And then outward process or inward processors can, can use the notebook. But I've had so many families. It's amazing what you find out about your kids if you put a boundary around it. Like, I am not allowed to ask you questions about this. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty great. Um, and the other thing with outward processors is I teach kids to talk to themselves. And so if you've ever seen someone in a car, this is before Bluetooth, you'd see someone like having an argument with somebody and you're like, God, ah, you pull up to the stoplight. You're like, Whoa, bad day. You know? Well, that's an outward processor soothing, but you don't wear someone else out. And so teaching them like, Hey, go for a walk and say everything you need to say to this person. And then come back and reevaluate. And what happens is you let it all out. But I've, I'm an outward processor and I have many conversations with myself, many, because I get it all out. And then I didn't, but I didn't go through the whole thing because outward processors don't, aren't interested in your advice. And so even if they say, what do I do? If you tell them, they usually don't do it. All they want to do is soothe by talking. So those are some tricks, but it's interesting because once they have an outlet, like once an inward processor gets to write about it, a lot of inward processors like to write songs. They are like, I can, I can write a song and get it out. I can listen to a song. Um, and our processors, you know, can fight with their friends walking down the street. And if you put your, your uh, earbuds in, nobody knows the difference. It's great. <laughs> Technology has made it better for our processors. I love, uh, I love that idea of the notebook. Yes. That's great. We could talk for hours about all these things. And I know that we're going to recommend to our families and our teachers and our colleagues to read your books along with your children's books. But what last thoughts would you want to give um, like schools, like a school district or teachers, um, like in terms of school-wide strategies? Do you recommend them? Do you feel like a school should adopt you know, some of your strategies, all of your strategies, what would you say in terms of that? I, my recommendation is that there is a faculty training for everyone who interacts with children in the building. And that includes everyone. So custodians, kit people who work in the cafeteria, just, and really go through the steps to understanding how to deal with children who are dysregulated. And what's great about this, it doesn't, it's not just anxiety, it's anger, it's any sort of big emotion. And I, in going through this, and then also every classroom teacher understands and teaches their class, hey, when you are feeling these big emotions, here's what you can do and start talking about it. It's typically now, it's just the school counselor comes in and talks to the class once a, every couple of weeks or once a month about feelings. But I think the teachers, need to be talking with their students about this is just as important. If you look at the research, if you can have children regulated, they're going to score better. This is better for everyone. And it's been so divided where we have the academic piece and the SEL piece. What if we could treat it all like this will benefit everyone? And so I, you know, the flooded trainings um, 
a lot of school districts are doing this summer and they're just going through the book um, about the brain and they're going through and learning how to set up spaces. And there I, you know, go through, how do you set up a space in your classroom? How do you set up a space in your office? And to me, it's just be curious about behavior. Instead of having the, this is what we do with a consequence, be curious about why. And then start to look underneath that. And when you, when kids feel safe, they're going to do better. And so creating safety for, for students, not just physical safety for, you know, security purposes, but how do you feel emotionally safe? And creating that, it's interesting that the school districts that have done it, and they started doing this sort of last year, what they saw was that kids are not getting expelled because they're managing it. They're, they're, not, they're not expelling students. And actually, teachers are keeping kids in their classroom because they have a system. Like, here's what you do when you have a big emotion. And teachers are recognizing when they're flooded. <laughs> they're saying, I am flooded. I should not give you a consequence right now. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So and then they wait. And then later on, they give it. So, Do you provide training? I do. And is yes. that something that we can find out from your website and your um, online resources? Yeah, you can just, just reach out to me. There is... Okay. Um, there's a there's a speaker packet on my um, website, but then also sometimes you can just reach out and be like, we want you to come in for a day and do a training. And I just would do all faculty and it's pretty hands on, like, you know, helping teachers and figuring out like what are what's their current classroom like? What can they add to it? You know, what can they put in place? So I do. Yeah, okay. I do trainings as well. And I know you also do virtual sessions as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do. Okay. That's great to know. That's another one of our questions from our colleagues. So if yes. our audience wants to kind of <laughs> dive into your books and, you know, look more into all the awesome work you're doing, what is the best way to follow you? So Instagram is my, is the best way, easiest way to sort of follow what I'm doing. And then through that, the products um, is all the feels company, which is my the products I'm releasing that help children manage emotions on their own. Okay, great. And then tell us one summary or summarizing statement about your newest book you're getting ready to publish or release, I should say, in October. Yeah, yeah. so that's called Beat Beat Thump. And I uh, wrote it on an airplane right after COVID. I got on an airplane and I was anxious and I've never been anxious on the airplane. But I hadn't been on one for so long and I could feel my heart pounding. And I, it was, I didn't know if I had panic or what, but I was so anxious. And I just wrote, I wrote the book on the airplane, which is, I've written two or three of them on the airplane, which is funny. I don't know what the, what the flight does to me, but, but I wanted to, I wanted to help kids understand what the body does. It, my mind, I didn't even know what my, I was thinking. I was flooded. So I didn't have a thought. I just felt this in my body. And so I also wanted to help kids understand that it's, it's a message that your body's sending you, but it's all, there's also a good message. So it's like, you know, there are these feelings that are so intense and you want them to go away, but then the same time, those, your heart can be in such a happy way too. And so it's just this looking at, you know, the body and what the body does and reacts um, to different emotions. It could be joy or, or stress, but, um, because as soon as I felt better, I was kind of like, ah, oh, my heart, you know, I was kind of grateful. I was like, oh, my heart's calmed down. So 
Um, but it, I think, again, like I said early, is that a lot of times when we're talking about thoughts and feelings, we're in the head when a lot of this is in the body. And so what happens when your heart beats out of your chest and you can feel it in your head? That's to me, when you get into the more severe anxiety, what do you do in those moments? Like, how do you how do you manage that? So that's what the book's about. That's great. It sounds like all ages could be reading that yeah, picture book. Yeah. I wrote it. Yeah, I wrote it for myself. So, you know, yeah, any, anybody. <laughs> that is great. Well, Allison, thank you so much for being here today. We have just really enjoyed your conversation. Um, we really hope that our listeners are going to be grabbing your books left and right, checking out your website and um, your Instagram, which is Allison E underscore LPC, correct? That's correct. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Allison. Yeah. Thank you guys. Take care. Okay. Take care. Okay. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow. That was awesome and totally relatable. I cannot wait to take the idea that Allison gave us about the journal with your child who is can be anxious about different things, but doesn't like to talk about it. Cause we all, you know, have had experiences with kids who don't want to talk to their parents, whether they're a teenager or whether they're a third grader or high schooler, whatever it may be. So that was an excellent tip that she gave that I can't wait to use. I know. I love it because I think a lot of our kids these ages, this age, they might be on social media and they might be communicating in one way or another with friends or even people in other states and they haven't really met in person, but they have a harder time actually communicating in person. And so I think that idea, along with some of her other ideas, um, putting the questions back at the student or at the child and asking them, well, what does that solution look like to you? What could a solution be like? What would make it better? What do you want to do about this? I think those are just some things that are very practical, but yet very simple. And they make a lot of sense. And one of the things she mentioned that you have talked about before is with tied in with the social media is not letting our young children watch the news or having conversations with them like they're adults about the things that are going on in our world, because they truly do not need another thing to be anxious about or have anxiety about when as children, they have many things at their level they should be much more worried about than national problems. Exactly. Because if we're exposing these kids to the nightly news, they are going to have big fears, big worries. And I think that is something that we need to heed as parents and as adults. You know, we can't just talk to these kids about these big things without knowing that there's unintended consequences about that. And that's, that's their big worry, you know? Yeah. And if you're having, you're having a a child or a student in your classroom, that's having these worries. Um, her book gives so many great tips. If you missed any of the ones she mentioned today, but there are so many more, Mm -hmm. I'm going to redo that because I said, if you missed, that was weird. I don't know why I said that. (laughs) (laughs) So if you are a parent or a teacher, it doesn't even, in all, Redo, Ryan. Okay, here we go. Third try. 
it's awesome because as even a parent and as a teacher in the classroom, we all have children around us as educators that worry about something. And as she mentioned, a ton of different tools in this episode, there's so many more tools that she has on her website and in her books that are extremely relevant and I I can't wait to try myself. I know. I know. I agree. So parents out there, teachers out there listening, please check out her things um, digitally and her uh, upcoming book that she's publishing and any of her past books. They are fabulous tools. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Adventures and Being Gifted. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite place to listen to podcasts to hear our next episode. Share with your friends, colleagues, and anyone you think would benefit from Adventures and Being Gifted. And we want to know what you want to hear more about. So let us know by tweeting us at beinggiftedpod or emailing us at adventuresinbeinggifted at gmail.com. Until Until next time. time.